Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Do you have money sitting in the stock market and you're worried about it? Or worse, you have money sitting at the bank, not keeping up with inflation? My name is Charles Carrillo, founder and managing partner of Harborside Partners. And since 2006, I've been investing my money and my family's money into income-producing properties. These are real assets, real properties with real addresses that produce real cash flow. At Harborside Partners, we provide passive investors who love real estate with a turnkey investing solution. If you want to put your money to work in real estate but can't find deals, don't have the time to get funding, and the last thing that productive people want to do is manage real estate. We find the deals, we fund the deals, and we manage the tenants, the termites, and the properties. Partner with us at investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Go to investwithharborside.com. If you love real estate, you like the idea of passive income, and believe that income-producing properties will appreciate over time, go to investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Brian Burke. Since 1989, Brian has acquired over $800 million worth of real estate, including over 4,000 multifamily units uh, and more than 700 single-family homes with the assistance of proprietary software that he wrote himself. He has subdivided land, built homes, constructed self-storage, but really prefers to reposition existing multifamily properties. So thank you so much for being on the show, Brian. Thanks for having me on, Charles. So you have a very uh, experienced real estate career. If you give us a little background on yourself, both personally and professionally, prior to uh, getting the real estate bug. Gosh, you know, there really wasn't much prior. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I started in this business when I was 20 years old. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, then I just, I didn't know any better. I, I, it was the only thing I could think to do where, uh, you know, maybe I could be my own boss. So I was, uh, when I first started, I was actually working uh, as a checkout clerk in a grocery store. And uh, that was probably for the first few months while I was trying to invest in real estate. And of course, I had no money. So that was a pretty slow process. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I got into law enforcement and I worked uh, for a local police and fire department for about 14 years while I was building my business. And finally, the business grew up enough where uh, I could supplement or actually uh, substitute my income from the from the quote unquote real job and hung it up. And that was uh, 20 something years ago and uh, never looked back. Awesome. So what was your first real estate investment? Uh, you know, what was your first real estate investment that you got involved with? I bought a small rental house for I don't know, it was like 100 grand or some small number here in California. And this was you know, of course, in 1989. So, you know, you could get a little bit more for your money back then than you could now. And uh, I did it with no money down because I read in a book that, uh, you know, Carlton you could, Sheets, is that it? It, it wasn't the car. It was worse yeah. than that. It was a worse <laughs> book that nobody's ever even read or seen, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, it says that you could uh, you get the seller to carry back your down payment. Uh -huh. And I'm like, that's great because I don't have a down payment. So, <laughs> that, so I, uh, I just uh, made an offer on this property and I asked if the seller would carry back the down payment. And they're like, yeah, we could do that. And I'm like, oh, this is easy. I guess this is pretty easy to do. So uh, I thought that was going to be my next career was buying no money down real estate. Little did I know. Yeah, that's interesting. It's funny because my dad started investing in multifamily in 1984. And I would ask him about it. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, back then we just uh, 
you know, somebody signed their property to you. There's no due on sale clause. They signed the property here. Uh, I get money back at closing. And it's like, you know, it's <laughs> a little different today, right? <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah. We did a lot of things back then that, you know, would be much more difficult to accomplish today. So um, your firm focuses on purchasing value add multifamily properties. And to addition to uh, other properties and things that you offer, you have one uh, I found very interesting was the opportunistic platform. Can you explain what types of assets you target? and how you identify them? Because this is something unique that uh, we don't get too many operators on to do. Yeah, you know, the, our opportunistic platform really was born from the early days of, uh, of Praxis Capital. And uh, I uh, started out in the house flipping business, you know, mm -hmm. and I was buying, fixing up and reselling houses, buying with the foreclosure auction on the courthouse steps. Uh, we actually still have uh, one uh, subsidiary where we do still buy properties at the courthouse steps and mm -hmm. fix them up and resell them. And I've got a team that runs that operation. And um, uh, so that's kind of was the foundation for our opportunistic platform. But it encompasses any basically anything that we think is a, a viable real estate opportunity that isn't just stabilized multifamily. So it could be uh, something like uh, we have a, a partnership where we're building homes on uh, on fire lots. We had a fire that whipped through town uh, about four four years ago that leveled 5,000, 5,300 homes were destroyed in the fire. And that left a lot of lots behind. So we're partnered with a local builder. We're building spec homes on uh, on those lots where homes had uh, previously been. So that, that's in our opportunistic platform. You know, and we've just done a few other real estate uh, projects that are arbitrage plays. It's not a big component of our business. It's certainly just a small offshoot, but it does allow us to provide a menu of different investment opportunities to our investors to, you know, some people really like, you know, take on a little bit more risk for potentially higher return. And the opportunistic platform gives us a venue to do that, uh, you know, at least on a small scale. When I was doing research for this show, I read that only 35% of people that have had fire damage in their homes rebuild it. That's, that's kind of crazy. I think it'd be a lot higher. I think that's actually probably a pretty accurate statistic from what we wow. saw after this fire here. Uh, about a third of the people rebuilt and moved back in. Um, about a third of the people just um, uh, sold their lots. Mm -hmm. And then there was a third that are still in limbo trying to figure out what they're going to do. Uh, so it's, it's, been, uh, it's been interesting to watch how that's played out. Yeah, I imagine it's even more of a fiasco now because of supply chain issues and then labor issues and the whole nine yards. So it's um, you might have a lot more people opting for the check versus becoming developers. Yeah, so. well, especially now if you're just getting started, because, you know, it's going to take you eight, eight or nine months just to get appliances, you know, before you could have rebuilt your house in six months. Now you can't even get materials for, you know, six or eight months. So, yeah, it's uh, if you're if you're looking to get back in quickly, it does present some challenges. Yeah. So you've invested in a lot of different real estate classes. Why do you prefer on repositioning existing multifamily properties over others? I just found it's a, uh, what we're best at and what we can scale the most. And, you know, it's, it's difficult to scale arbitrage plays. If you're, if you're out there saying like, okay, we're going to go buy, you know, rundown properties at a discount, fix them up and hold them or sell them or whatever. Finding old rundown properties at a discount is, challenging you know there's just not a lot of it and and when you do find it they're generally smaller maybe you're buying a strip mall for a couple million dollars or you know some old shop building for 500 grand and you know it's not really all that scalable and it's usually pretty low hyper local so you know you're buying stuff in your own backyard uh, 
I, I just, uh, you know, my backyard is California. I don't find California to be a very good place to invest in real estate. So <laughs> uh, if we want to go outside of our, you know, our so-called backyard, that means traveling across the country. And I'm not going to travel across the country to go find some $500,000 shop building I can repurpose into a retail center. Uh, instead, I'd rather buy a $150 million multifamily apartment complex uh, that you know we can uh, slowly renovate over time, stabilize, and then ultimately resell. So for us, it's about scalability mostly. So being vertically integrated with that, I mean, how does that assist you in scaling? I imagine if you're in so many different, you guys are in a lot of different markets uh, throughout really the whole Sun Belt, like you were just saying. Um, what, I mean, how does that how does how does that work where you're going to put on your own management on the ground? And um, so now you're not only just finding the asset, now you're putting together the whole management team and possibly a new market or a market that you're growing in. Well, for us, the vertical integration is just about having uh, total control. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have um, full control over the operations of the property. We have mm -hmm. full control over the renovations of the property and the order in which we're going to do it with employees that you know, basically are, are uh, you know, they're employed by us. So they, they do what we say, you know, we lay out the priorities and they do it versus third party company where you lay out your priorities and they're like, yeah, well, you know, we've got guys deployed at another property. We've got to finish first. And then, you know, there's always some excuse. Uh, so we have full control over that. Plus we have full control over the financials. You know, we've, um, mm. we've got uh, enterprise grade uh, software platforms where everything is integrated together. You know, in one system, we can see all of our properties, uh, you know, leasing, rentals, occupancy, income, expenses, everything is all there. Uh, and that's an unprecedented level of control compared to uh, fractured third-party management where you have, have different management companies in each market and everybody's kind of reporting to you differently and, and you're trying to sort out, you know, different reporting formats and accounting methods and so forth. Uh, instead, we, we can build all this in-house. Yeah. So you can keep, I would imagine, part of, the, part of it, the operation in your centralized head office location, and then the other ones are on the ground, um, you know, obviously handyman, all that other stuff that goes on, services. That's right. So each property, you know, we, we invest in properties that are greater than 100 units in size. And mm -hmm. in most cases, we're uh, over 200 units, but I would say in almost every case, we're over 150. And you know, these properties are large enough to support their own staff. So, you know, there's an office at each property, a leasing office, a clubhouse, uh, you know, that property is going to have a manager, an assistant manager, maybe a leasing agent, a lead maintenance technician, a couple other maintenance technicians, maybe a renovation specialist. Uh, you know, we're going to have a whole staff at each of these properties, which is overseen by regional vice presidents who are overseen, you know, directly through our corporate office. So right. you kind of have to create a whole organizational structure around it, but you, you know, it's something you can't do with smaller real estate. Yeah. You, know, you just can't afford to have a whole staff uh, for one building, but for larger properties, you can. Yeah. That's the one big plus with going to larger assets versus smaller ones is just the ability to uh, it's just easier to manage. I mean, that's what it is. Hands down. That's what I've found over, over years of doing it. Indeed. But, um, so talk to us about this proprietary software that you you've written and then they utilize. How, how do you, how, like, why did you do it? And what does it uh, really help you do? Well, you know, when I, by our first, our first platform was born out of necessity. When I started buying uh, foreclosures at the courthouse steps, mm -hmm. 
it was a very old archaic system back then. You, have, you know, you would learn about the foreclosure sale through a legal notice in the newspaper that you would clip out. And, you know, and so it was fun because I would go to the auction and I was, when I was first getting into this business, I was watching other auction bidders and noticing that everybody was tracking things through like, they had like a backpack full of manila folders with papers flying everywhere. And, you know, and people were losing track of what was going to auction and, you know, cause they, they get postponed and then, oh, I lost that file. So I realized, I thought, you know, I just gotta be a better way. So I developed my own uh, software platform that would track all these foreclosure sales and allow us to do mm. title searches and prioritize the liens and kind of run basically our whole foreclosure auction business through this software platform. I wrote the thing myself, you know, nights and weekends and like working 24 hours a day for years. It took me years to, to really get it uh, fine-tuned and dialed in. And that really helped facilitate our growth when foreclosures went crazy. And, and then, you know, seeing the value of having your own platform that you wrote and, and you know, did the specs on when I got into multifamily, I kind of realized we needed the same thing. Uh, it was hard to find really good financial analysis software to determine, you know, income and expenses and projections and calculate potential returns and waterfalls and all that sort of stuff uh, for income real estate. So I decided to dip back into the old skill set and uh, and do it again. And, and this time, write a platform uh, based in Excel that would allow us to underwrite and analyze multifamily uh, real estate and and make uh, projections for return and sensitivity analysis and all that sort of stuff. So that's kind of our one of our pieces of our secret sauce that helps us uh, with a competitive advantage. Interesting. So if you're working with a lot of uh, passive investors to finance a lot of these deals that you're buying, what do you think, uh, I imagine you've been on both sides of it and been a passive investor in other maybe real estate or other uh, investments. What do you think is most important or what should passive investors look for when investing in a syndication between, let's say, the operator and then also the property? Well, I think most important, and this is a debate that always comes up is people will ask, you know, what's more important, the, the sponsor or the deal? You know, this is, there's always this little chicken and the egg thing. Uh, you know, I've, I've always been a proponent of, of recognizing that the sponsor is more important than the deal because, a, a, you know, a great real estate sponsor can, can create an incredible outcome out of extreme adversity, but a bad one can screw up a perfectly good real estate deal. So, you know, it's really important for passive investors to understand who they're investing with. And, you know, I, I wrote a book, The Hands-Off Investor, uh, came out uh, in 2020, that's 350 pages dedicated to everything you got to look for uh, when you're investing in passive real estate syndications. I mean, if you wanted to boil the whole thing down to a couple sound bites, it would be look for a sponsor that has a good track record, a solid track record, uh, and preferably one that survives some market cycles. You know, you want to yeah. see somebody that's been able to get through adversity, uh, survive and be there to, uh, to live another day. Cause if they, if they failed or if they haven't been around long enough, uh, then they, they might not have the skill set to get through the next adverse cycle when that comes. Speaking of adverse cycles, what do you think uh, are the, how would one, what's the best way for an operator to prepare for a pullback? And because I mean, you've been through probably two or three of them now. Uh, at least, yeah. I think the best way to prepare is to uh, structure your acquisitions properly. And, and by that, the most important way uh, that you can structure your assets is to not take on too much debt. 
when I look back at uh, the collapse of 0789, you know, the great financial collapse, as you call it, or the great real estate reset or whatever you want to call it, uh, the properties that we were buying through foreclosure from banks and elsewhere uh, were dominantly, and I would say somewhere in the high 90s percent, uh, dominated by people who took out too much debt. They, yeah. they had uh, zero equity to start with. They were doing 100% financing or, or you know, just really high levels of financing. And, and I'm starting to see that happening again right now. Uh, even in the multifamily side, we're seeing, uh, right, it seems like most buyers these days are using bridge debt. They're using fairly high leverage. They're doing, you know, 80 or 90% of cost, which could equate to somewhere close to 100% purchase price, uh, you know, withdrawals coming for future fundings for uh, renovations. And to me, that level of financing is dangerous. Right now, we're, we're financing somewhere in the 60 to 70% of purchase price range, and we're funding our renovations out of cash. Uh, so that puts us, you know, post renovation somewhere around 50% LTV, uh, which if we have a pullback, I feel that we have some margins of safety, too much debt eliminates those margins of safety, you can find yourself winding up in a world of hurt very, very quickly. Oh, interesting. Uh, so what are other than over over leveraging? Uh, what are some other mistakes that you've seen real estate investors make? Well, some of the big ones are they, they tend to overestimate and underestimate. And, and that's always in the way that doesn't help them. So <laughs> they might overestimate how much uh, rent increases they're going to get or what rent they're going to get. And then they might underestimate how much it's going to cost to repair the property, or they might overestimate their exit price or underestimate their exit cap rate. Uh, so there's, uh, there's all kinds of misses. And those are, those are where the misses usually are. It's usually in how much you're going to be able to sell it for, how much you're going to be able to rent it for, and how much it's going to cost you uh, to get from the condition the property's into the condition you want to get it into. Those are the big misses and they, uh, they can be a death sentence to a business plan. Brian, uh, what do you think are the main factors that have uh, contributed to your success over the uh, past few decades? Well, obviously some tenacity because getting through the downturn of the real estate uh, uh, crash was not an easy thing. Uh, so if I, I had plenty of opportunities to throw my hands in the air and give up, never did. Uh, so I think that was probably a major contributor to our success. I think another contributor was that, uh, knock on wood, after 20-something years of investing using investors' money, we've never lost a nickel of investor principal. And a track record like that helps to fuel future growth because people uh, recognize that if you've uh, been able to pull that off, maybe their principal is a bit more protected than with someone that doesn't have the same track record. So I think, uh, you know, success breeds success. Yeah. So how can our listeners learn more about you and your business, Brian? Uh, best ways are to check out our website at uh, for Praxis Capital. It's praxcap.com, P-R-A-X-C-A-P.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Investor Brian Burke or check out uh, the Hands Off Investor available uh, on Amazon, bookstores, or biggerpockets.com forward slash syndication book. Okay. I will put those links into the show notes and I want to thank you for coming on and uh, looking forward to connecting with you in the near future. I appreciate you having me on, Charles. Thanks much. Thank you.
Hi guys, it's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.